In a world where uncertainty reigns supreme, where shadows of chaos dance at every turn, one truth emerges unyielding. Preparation is not a luxury, but a lifeline. Behold the Wellness Company, a beacon of readiness amidst the tempestuous seas of fate. Envision a sanctuary of tranquility, where the tumult of unforeseen medical crises finds no purchase. The Wellness Company's Medical Emergency Kit stands as a bastion of assurance, a fortress of resilience against the unseen foes of health. Within its sacred confines lie the tools of salvation. Ivermectin, to ward off the insidious whispers of disease. Emergency antibiotics, to quell the raging storms of infection. Antivirals, to vanquish the relentless tides of contagion and more. The Wellness Company Medical Emergency Kit is not merely a collection of supplies, it is the embodiment of preparedness itself. Crafted by the hands of esteemed healers led by luminaries such as Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. James Thorpe, Dr. Harvey Risch, and Dr. Drew Pinsky, this kit stands as the pinnacle of safety, the zenith of prevention. These truth-seeking doctors have forged a testament to vigilance, a testament to the unwavering pursuit of well-being. Embrace the certainty that comes from being armed against adversity. Embrace the Wellness Company, for in its embrace lies the promise of resilience, the promise of a brighter tomorrow amidst the chaos of today. Don't wait for the next crisis to strike. Visit twc.health forward slash strange planet and use promo code strange planet for an exclusive 10% discount. Prepare today and rest easy tomorrow. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Richard Serrett's Strange Planet, following the truth wherever it leads, exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites, revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality, coming to you from the Great White North and his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard. Welcome once again to another episode of Strange Planet. Thanks, as always, for sticking me in your ear. We've got an interesting story for you tonight. Uh, This is uh, a bit of a departure for me. We're not going to talk UFOs. We're not going to talk Bigfoot or conspiracy. Well, we are going to talk about a conspiracy, actually. One, I guess, that's been kind of hiding in plain sight, maybe since the inception of film and and television, as we're about to find out. Uh, About 20 years ago, there was a, a teen comedy film called Big Fat Liar, starring one of my favorite actors, Paul Giamatti. It's about this uh, teenager. He's a, a compulsive liar, and uh, he gets a, a writing assignment. So he, he writes this essay, this story, rather, and it ends up falling into the hands of uh, a cons- uh, an unscrupulous and arrogant uh, screenwriter-producer played by Paul Giamatti, and he ends up turning that piece of writing into a film. And, of course, no one will believe this kid that that's his film because he's a compulsive liar. It's based on Aesop's fable, uh, The Boy Who Cried Wolf. Well, this goes on far more than you might believe. In fact, uh, my guest tonight is going to tell us about what happened to him and uh, how this, this system of stealing ideas and turning these ideas into film and television is basically the way the system operates in Hollywood. He's a, a Hollywood writer, producer, and uh, he is suing HBO, claiming that the, uh, the network stole his concepts. Jack Pugy is the CEO of Flip Productions, and he joins me now. Hey, Jack, how are you? Hi, Richard. Thank you so much for having me on. Such a pleasure. You come from Long Island. Um, 
yeah, I do. don't think of Long Island necessarily like close proximity to New York City, which obviously is the you know one of the hubs of the entertainment field. But how did you first of all, just a little bio, biographical information? How did you get into show business? <laughs> so I guess I was uh, chasing the dream that so many, so many do um, wanting to be involved in the entertainment business. But um, I happened to grow up with a family friend um, who was a multi-platinum Grammy award-winning music producer um, who had a reality show on MTV back in the early days of reality TV. Um, his show was called The Shop. Um, his accolades extend to, you know, he's produced for Jennifer Lopez, just about every song she ever did. Mariah Carey, Michael Jackson. Those are some like just the big names, but the list goes on and on. If you, if, you know, anybody wants to look him up, his name's Corey Rooney. Um, Corey took me under his wing. At, he invited me to come over to play piano with him for as long as I can possibly remember. Um, I've known him since I'm five years old. And he's a, I went to school with his daughter. We, you know, we had, like I mentioned earlier, he's a family friend. We tons and tons of interaction. It wasn't until really like high school that I took him up on his offer to spend time together. And um, I remember the first time I walked into his studio, I just felt like I was somebody somewhere where I finally belonged. And it was just like the most, it was something that I remember saying, like, I can't believe I took so long to like actually kind of finally do this. <laughs> and um, he was, you know, a mentor to me and, and, and beyond generous with me. And like, you know, he was involved with a lot of really high end celebrities and, and, you know, he wrote music for everybody. Um, and then just being in the industry, he had a lot of friends too. So he connected me to, uh, along his path of mentoring me, he taught me how to be a producer, whether I realized it or not, you know, because he was a producer and the medium of music to film, of course, is different, but it's not very different. It's still storytelling. Okay. When did you, when did you start coming up with sort of your own uh, concepts for, let's say, uh, a television show? And then when did you start pitching and, and uh, maybe kind of walk us through that process? Yeah. So I guess, I mean, my whole life, I definitely felt like I was a director, you know, the director within within the lens of, you know, being being a creative sort of a person, but I never actually, and I've never actually matriculated. I always thought that I would be involved via the um, music side of the business until um, I graduated from college and I had this concept for a reality show. So I called up the best person I knew and he connected me to a couple of his friends. Um, now these guys happened to be the guys, one of the parties that I'm suing, but he connected me to uh, a gentleman's brother. And that gentleman passed me off to this group, which is of uh, uh, Grand Street Media, which is one of the parties labeled in my suit. Um, these guys came down to like location scout for, and we had, we had a couple of meetings. Um, I went up to their office, which, um, you know, through my further investigations, these guys weren't who they appeared to be to me right, when I first met. Okay, but before we get into the, you know, the deception and how the system is rigged and so forth, um, for those not familiar, and I've, I've been in television sort of on the periphery, I was in a Discovery pilot and I had a, a short run, well, TV show for about four years, just a, um, not a big production by any stretch. But um, for those not familiar with how you get a show uh, or a production team or a company interested in, uh, talk to me about how you, is it like the elevator pitch? You send them a treatment, how does it work? Yeah, so I mean, it. it yeah, I mean, I had a pitch. I went to these guys with a pitch. I went to these guys with a pitch for a previous show. That was how I first got involved. But, but when it came down to the shows that are in question in my suit, um, that one never matriculated. Well, whether or not it was stolen and became something else before my eyes without me knowing mm. there is something that I could put my finger on, but I, but I, you know, I'd rather not. Um, but this, this show, the shows in question that are labeled in my suit were, were strictly a pitch. I called up, I pitched the concept. I wanted to produce it. I wanted to produce it myself and I wanted them really to be more of the crew and like my, 
my hand holders along along the way on my first production. Okay. I was going to execute. So take set. us inside that pitch session, like uh, you know, tell us what sure. the concept was, and and kind of if we were a fly on the wall, how did they react, and and how did they kind of suck yeah. you in? So I called them with a lot of the advice that I was given by my friend Corey. Um, I said to them, "Hey guys, I want to produce a pilot." Um, you know, which most of the time you'd go in and produce a sizzle, which would be like sort of like the trailers you see in the advertisements, um, because you're trying to sell, you know, the next party up the chain on on uh, the work. So I called these guys wanting to make a pilot because I was told by Corey that if you make a pilot, you guarantee yourself to get to air. Um, so I, I was invested in following the process that way. They had their own confines. They wanted to only make the trailer. So I called them up. I gave them about a 22 minute. I called them up. But before calling them up, I had everybody sign NDAs. Mm. That was the most important step that the lawyers told me. Non-disclosure agreements so they can't go and blab your idea to everybody else because it's yours. It's mine. And it's and they can't. Um, they also can't make adaptations which is key to this because what they ended up rolling out was an adaptation. So they, they signed the NDA. So they signed the NDA. We get on the phone and I give them my, my elevator pitch. Basically, um, I had this concept for a reality show. It was going to star myself and a group of my friends. And yeah, I was going to, I was really going to host it. They were going to be the stars. Um, the show was going to appear to be, a show where we were holding American Idol style casting auditions um, to create influencers. But in actuality, it was going to be a dating show. Hmm. We were going to reel the girls in. <laughs> now, was this all legal? No. When I pitched it back to my lawyers, they said, we're going to have to work through this. You're, you know, it's not totally, I don't know if you can just like trick people. So Anyhow, but this was the initial, you know, this was, it was very raw and very new. And that, and that was the, the, the idea was that we were going to host this American Idol style audition to cast what we've deemed to be the most attractive women to be influencers. Okay. So now the, how did they react? How did they no, react? They loved it. But what, but the part I'm leaving out of my pitch is that I was going to then separate off in two groups and I was going to showcase myself as a nice guy and my friends as players and in showcasing my friends i wouldn't have had to get them to act it was all it was all going to be completely unscripted they they had done it to me time and time again that even after the shows came out and i told them i based this on you they couldn't figure out how until i showed them how they acted neither here nor there but um that was the concept was I was going to, I was going to have this whole pool and I was going to just have, you know, them kind of weed their way through it and show me who the wrong girls were. And, um, and it was supposed to be like the nice guy versus the player. And immediately on the pitch, I knew that these guys were, these guys comprehended it fully because Jesse Guma, one of the, the partners at Grand Street Media said to me, so it's the dating show where nobody finds love. Mm. You got it. <laughs> and they were like, okay, great. We'll be back to you by the end of the week. We're pricing. We'll come back on, um, you know, we want to make, we'll make a trailer. I was like, no, no, no. We're going to make a pilot. I got to get this thing on air. And yeah, well, I don't know why, you know, you would have been advised that we're going to make a pot. We're going to make it, we'll make a trailer. So I was like, listen, if, then if you guys could just give me quotes for both. I didn't know as an entry level producer, when you go to the production companies, you're bidding for funds. You're telling them what it's going to cost for you to make it, not the other way around. Ah. And, but I was doing so because I wanted it to be work for hire and I wanted to retain the rights ownership of my concept because I was always told that rights are the most important thing in this business. Okay. So these guys couldn't have the rights. They took the rights. Um, and I was passed off to, so they told me they'd be back to me by the end of that week. It was, I believe it was like a Tuesday I pitched. Friday came and went. 
you know, Monday came and went, Tuesday came and went. And by the end of Tuesday, I was like, what's going on? Hey, we had a huge project that was thrown in our laps, one of the partners tells me. But uh, let me check in with Jesse and uh, we'll get back to you. Nobody gets back to me that day. And the next morning I was kind of like nail biting, like what's going on, you know? Um, I get, so I email them and I get a reply back from Jesse. Um, hey, we're not going to be able to work, work on this with you, but we have a producer partner of ours we would like for you to work with. His name's Jeff Cobelli. Um, and his company name is Good For You Productions. Now, I didn't realize it right away, but I realized it a couple of weeks in. There was an ironic double entendre, good for you. Mm-hmm. Why? <laughs> yes, yes. I think you can the dots. Yes, go flying leap yourself. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, they thought they were, you know, somebody in that group thought they were really clever coming up with that as the team to pass you off to when they were ready to just kind of like dish you down the road. And slowly but surely, I learned how it is that they could get away with taking. So, so let's, let's sort of leap ahead here. Um, mm-hmm. Now, in I mentioned that that um, big fat liar, and in the, in the movie, I think it's his a, a girlfriend of his or something who sees a trailer for the uh, the film yeah. that Paul Giamatti has written and produced, and she recognizes that that's her friend's piece of writing. How did you find out that your uh, dating show where nobody falls in love had and ended up on on a television show, an actual TV show that you didn't so, have anything to do with anymore? So what happened was I started working with GFY. And as I'm working with GFY, it, like I mentioned before, they, they adapted my concept. Because now, as an adaptation, they could call it a parallel idea. They could say that two people had the same idea at the same time, which is perfectly legal. Right, right. right? How do you prove otherwise? How do you prove it? That's That was always my side of this. How do you prove what brain chemistry is going on between my two temples and your two temples? You can't. We haven't figured that out with computers and technology yet. Mm-hmm. So what... But what these guys figured out is one of the most clever, divisive ways around um, intellectual property theft. It was more than likely a case, a set of lawyers. So while I'm working with, so, so I figure this out because after my second pitch meeting with GFY, I get on the phone with my attorneys at Loeb and Loeb. I had already been, I had already known that they represented HBO from a previous dealing. Um, Yet they seemed kind of skittish on this call. And he and you know, they wrote this NDA for these guys to sign too. So I, you know, I'm pitching them my show and I and I told them I'm pitching it to my lawyers now, and I'm telling them, you know, I need to I need to now get to the step of you know having the work for hire in order. My lawyer immediately goes, stop everything you're doing. These guys aren't who they say they are. They're HBO and they're ripping you off. GFY is HBO. Yeah. My lawyer claimed that whoever these producers you think you've hired are, they're HBO. They're ripping you off. And I don't, and not only GFY, but Grand Street, because Grand Street had had enough time. So, um, but these two companies were production partners, they told me. So they were clearly feeding information. How did they know uh, HBO was, was ripping you off? Like, my attorney, because he represented HBO. So he knew that your show that you pitched to them was uh, a parallel production, but it was an adaptation and it was gonna, it was in production, your yep. show. He, he told me there, I don't think who you're working with, whoever you're working with isn't who they say they are. They're ripping you off and they're HBO. And I was like, how could they be HBO? I got them through somebody I know my whole life, you know, that I like loved and trusted. So now um, I was like, this guy, I was like, you know, this is the second time because he commit malpractice right there. He just, he disclosed confidential information from one client to another. Right. Why would he do that? I guess he liked you, right? Well, I think, well, I, I, ironically enough, I think he was doing his job. He (laughs) He was protecting his client, but at his other client's detriment, 
So now he disclosed that HBO stole from me, but but both of these parties are his client. So I'm scratching my head at this whole thing. And I said to myself, you know, this isn't the first time I've seen Alyssa practices from this law firm. I'm going to, I'm going to hire another attorney. So I, um, so I did the same night and he goes, and that attorney had told me, you know, these guys sound, they're really expensive. You know, we don't have, doesn't, it's not going to cost nearly as much if I write you the contract that you need. And he said, don't worry, just go forward. So I did. And along the process of developing this show, within my initial concept was that this was a documentary style reality show. So what I did was I recorded a lot of my pitch meetings because what I wanted to do was go from pitch to the full set, like look at a full production, you know, so behind the scenes development to like Hollywood. In other words, the more detail you gave them, the less, uh, the harder it would be for them to adapt it to something else and and claim that it was theirs. You were basically handing them everything. Well, no, 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 not exactly. So what so what I did was I'm I'm skipping I'm skipping around. Yeah. Um, one thing I was doing was I was recording every meeting on a, on my iPhone. Right. Okay. Because I wanted I wanted footage of all these um of all these development meetings so that I could then use them as a part of the show. Got it. I want to fit into the series. Okay. As a documentary style uh, reality. Show. Okay. Let me, um, let me just back up for a second. Uh, if I could. Yeah. And that is the, when, when um, the law firm told you that HBO had taken your concept. Yeah. And I didn't believe ad adapt. You didn't believe them. Uh, I didn't, I thought it sounded paranoid. Okay. Until it did it. Because the next thing that happened was GFY told me HBO stole my show. And I had that on recording. Ah. So. What did that show end up being? Uh, it, it went to TV. Fake Famous. Was Fake the first Famous. That released. So they started to tease me with this. They didn't tell me exactly, but they teased me with it. When we first saw the trailer, we were like, is this the show? Is it not the show? And when you open up the trailer, the first within the within the first ten seconds is that American Idol style audition casting for influencers, mm. and you end up with nothing. And so I'm scratching my head at this whole thing, but I know, I know that there's more to it because I was already recording. You know, I had all this evidence going and looming in the background, so I wasn't totally screwed. I thought, and. The story only gets crazier. All right. Well, because sorry, Jack. We're going to take a quick timeout. We'll come back and uh, we'll get back to this um, amazing story. It is, again, a, uh, well, it's David versus Goliath. Small, independent uh, producer taking on the Hollywood system. Back with more of our conversation in uh, a few minutes. Quoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. The truth will set you free, free, free. But first, it will really tick you off. Welcome back to Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Hollywood, ripping people off. Who would have thought? But uh, this time it might be different because um, the David in this David and Goliath story is taking HBO to court and um, he believes he's got all the evidence he needs uh, to blow this... Uh, wide open. Okay, so um, fake famous. That was the uh, basically the the HBO ripped you off. That went into production. It was an a, a mild variation or an adaptation of the show that you had pitched to this other uh, couple of uh, well, this GFY production company. Um, 
what's going through you when you watched did you watch episode an episode or could you bring yourself to watch the episode or just the trailer so when we talk about the david and goliath portion of the story i always like to say my slingshot is, was an iphone <laughs> yeah very well very well put. so so um so when it comes to the story though um what happened next led me, I wasn't going to watch it. These guys pitched me, Hey, you gotta go. And you gotta go, you gotta go check it out. Was it the show? Was it not the show? And I was like, something seemed weird, but I realized that these guys started to change their tune also. So when it came to watching the, so what happened was I was on my way down to Florida um, to meet up with, with a friend of mine who lived in LA, we were all headed to Miami to celebrate his birthday. So when we get down to Miami the next day after they teased me with this fake famous release um, that I wasn't going to watch, we go out one night, I met a bunch of, you know, other friends in their group. And I was like, guys, I, I first thing that next morning, I call them up and I tell GFY and I tell them, guys, I have casts. I have additional casts for like the influencer segments you guys were, you know, pitching me. And, um, you know, I've cast for the show. I'm down here for my friend Garrett's birthday. He's got to be one of them. And, you know, we, and I'm listing off these other characters that I met that the evening before. Two hours later, my friend Garrett gets a phone call. He's being cast for HBO's first ever documentary style reality show. Wow. Now I say to myself, oh my gosh, I know a show you're going to be on. It's called Fake Famous. I was like, we got to watch the trailer. So I go to pull the trailer up and, I, and I'm watching the trailer for the first time. And one of the, one of the lines I wanted to start the casting ads with that we were going to run to, to lure in people on Instagram was, have you ever wanted to be famous? The first line into that fake famous trailer is, do you want to be famous? Mm. And I was like, I'm on HBO. <laughs> and they signed NDAs. I mean, like, you know, that day my friends thought I lost my mind. I was like, I was like, I'm going to be so rich. I got, I have these guys signing, I have HBO signing NDAs before stealing my concept. My lawyer told me, the production company told me, you know, they just cast my friend to be on the show in, in one of the roles. You got him. You nailed him. I got him. I really thought, I was like, I got these guys tooth and nail. So I reached out, the next day I reached out one more time to, to Grand Street, which was the production, the original production company. Hey guys, you know, um, I'm really honored that you're HBO and you think I was worthy of being on your network. That's insane. And they're like, we don't know what you're talking about. We have nothing to do with fake famous. Um, so I was like, okay, so you guys want to talk through lawyers then? Because, but now I'm thinking to myself, well, who's my lawyer? Because my lawyer commit malpractice. Mm. So I call up my next, the, the guy I had just hired. And he was like, well, you have to, um, when you call back Loeb and Loeb, make sure you're recording again. So I call back Loeb and Loeb, the two partners that I had spoken with that told me I was getting robbed. I got my phone going in the background and I basically asked them, I said, you know, how, I said, how is it that this is the case? I said, I said, you know, you guys told me that I was getting ripped off by your other client or I said something along. I, what did I say? I said more like, you know, the last time we spoke, you guys told me that HB, you guys told me that my show sounded a lot like the HBO shows or show. And because at this time I didn't know they were being sub subdivided. Mm. And they said, well, we don't know what you're talking about. Mm. And I was like, really? Okay. I was like, so on our last call, you told me my show sounded a lot like the HBO show. And this HBO show just came out. It's called Fake Famous. And you can hear him in the background pretending to Google it. But you don't hear a keyboard clicking. So he goes, F-A-K-E, F-A-M-O-U-S. Uh, okay, now I see it. <laughs> yeah, what are you talking about? And he goes, I was like, 
I know I was like, you didn't even Google it. I didn't hear your keyboard, you know, because I because I, I could hear there's other moments where you could hear the keyboard. Right, right. I believe. And um, he goes, OK, so what are you what are you saying? I was like, well, last time we spoke, you told me this sounded a lot like my show. Now it's on air. What did you mean by that? Sort of, a, you know, but I was playing it. I was playing it very, very close guarded. And I was I was being very calculated about my wording because I knew that I needed to get them to to give up the goods. Right. Ultimately, this guy denied it. You know, he was trying to deny it to the grave, but it, but he passed it off to his partner and his partner goes. No, he goes. Well, and he passed it off to his partner who didn't, the you know, his partner wasn't the one who said it. This other guy was the one who said it. But the partner goes, well, no, I didn't say that. But there, but, but you know, it may have been in the tray within the day or so before our call. So we may have said or did that. It's like, so you just admitted you had documents in a tray. And now I was like, I was like, again, I was like, I got more. I was like, just collect. I was collecting evidence. So now he starts to get paranoid. He goes, well, I rep so as the as the call goes on, eventually he comes out and he goes, Well, I represent HBO. So I would know if there was a show called Fake Famous, but this is the first I'm hearing about it. But then they went back to compare the and contrast the differences in my show and the HBO show. I go, Oh, so you have seen this show, you do know what it's about. Mm -hmm. He goes, No, 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 I'm just looking at it on Google now. I go, So what you mean to tell me is that you represent me and HBO. And all of a sudden, like, that's when, like, I set the alarm bell off that he was he was representing both parties on the same matter. And he goes, he immediately asked to lawyer up. He goes, this isn't going well. I'm going to have to get somebody else on this call. Mm. And he starts his way through it. And I mean, that was like a that was a really crazy moment for me. It's so it's HBO. They almost sound like Walmart in that they they control all of their suppliers. Uh, so it doesn't matter who you're dealing with. Ultimately you're dealing with Walmart. And, mm -hmm. but even further than that, like the whole, um, even the law firms, like it's HBO's world. And you know, you either play along or, but so exactly. this isn't the first, I mean, it happened again though, didn't it? It happened. So, now, so now, yeah, they had cast my friend to be in this show. You know my back back the you know a couple of days before this call with the lawyers so the next thing i find is um um i get a i get a i started to blow off meetings with gfy because i was trying to play i realized that this was all so behavioral that like one little if you did anything sort of skittish you'd get some sort of a react everything was tit for tat in the reaction you got so the so I blew off a couple of meetings and then I got a FaceTime from my friend from the set. My friend claims on a few of podcasts that he spoke on that they had zero phone access for the entire filming. But comparatively, what he always told me and I have him on recording is, no, no, we actually got 20, 20 minutes a day, 20 minutes a week of phone usage. So I'm thinking to myself, one of those is a lie. And of the two of those, if you got 20 minutes a week to use your phone, why did you use time to call me? Right, right. Especially after I blew off a couple of meetings. So, you know, you, you didn't call your mom and dad to check in in your 20 minutes. You had enough time to make sure to stick me in the rotation. And we were, we were friends, but we weren't like, we weren't best friends that grew up together. Sort right. Of and he was getting taken care of. He was getting paid. Um, he thought he had a, yeah, this was his, this. Well, ironically, they short him in the end of the show too, mm -hmm. because of his choice. So I tried to, I tried to sit down and have a conversation with him too. And I, you know, I gave him the opportunity. I said, you and I both got shorted by the network. Do you want to work together? Let's explore, let's expose this, my story as a, as a unit. And he told me, you got to make me a deal. And it, as soon as I heard that come out of his mouth, I was like, and you're not a friend. Right, right. Uh, Jack, I'm going to take another time. I'll come back and we'll discuss uh, the uh, the second um, incident of uh, HBO ripping you off. Back with more of our conversation right after these.
Ladies and gentlemen, the captain has turned on the fasten seatbelt sign. We're now crossing a zone of turbulence. Please return your seats and food trays to their upright position and make sure your carry-on luggage is safely stowed. You're about to leave everything you know behind. This is Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Strange Planet. Jack Fuji is with us. With uh, He's the CEO of Flip Productions, and he is suing HBO, claiming the network stole uh, two of his concepts. We were speaking about um, uh, the HBO show Fake Famous, which is his, except they adapted it, made some slight changes, I guess, and cut him out uh, of the deal. And uh, so... Now, uh, there's another show. First of all, how did Fake Famous, uh, did it have a long run? I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not familiar with the show. Uh, it's, Fake Famous was um, a documentary. So oh, it was, it was a one-off. Okay, got it. So then comes along, um, um, you have another pitch, which was later adapted into something called F-Boy Island? So the same. So it was the same pitch. I think reality television is like, a lot of those shows are like watching paint dry. So what I wanted to do was give two two uh line items of drama so that these two things could like inter inter merge and be as a married concept it would the show would have like an a story a b story a c story and a d story so you could follow so these four storylines would be a lot more of a roller coaster was my and i you know that was what i was that's what i was trying to achieve and why it got subdivided because you could have very easily separated it into two got it okay um, so now so now what happens was we get to the point of um Garrett being on Garrett being on the calls me on this FaceTime. The FaceTime very abruptly ends. Garrett again is with Garrett was cat was my friend who was right. cast two hours after I gave his name to be a part of the right. show. You offer him to uh to help you the two of you are gonna yeah. expose the scheme. Yep. And uh I guess he passed. <laughs> <laughs> so um now I um so now I knew the next time I got him on a call he had to be recorded as a part of the evidence as well. So the first thing he does when he calls me back is he's teasing me no differently than any of the producers at GFY were. And there was even a point in the call where he like asked for a pause and then you could almost hear that he's reading off a script. Wow. When he, when he, when he, when he, the first thing he says when he calls me up and I had the camera rolling was, what's up? I just won your TV show. I was like, <laughs> yeah. I was like, I was like, I couldn't have asked for this to happen any better, you know? So, um, he goes on, he, pa he asks for this pause. Then he goes and he rattles off like this pitch of the show and I'm listening to it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this really was like the other portion of the show. And this was the portion of the show that I kept safeguarded because I didn't want, I couldn't have my friends know that I was going to play them against each other. Um, so where does that leave us? That leaves us at the point of, I had, I had just been dumped by GFY. Garrett passes me off to explain to me that I, you know, now this dating show is coming out. Garrett invites me to come to the premieres. He does, you know, a whole series of things. I mean, him and I spent the weekend together in Tampa where I was like, yeah, no, the, those are my shows. I produced them and he backed it up um, everywhere we went. Um, we sat down, had a recorded interview and I made sure to get one of the most important highlights. I thought that he had pulled me the day he was cast on audio. Um, and I asked him about the day he was cast he really tried to backpedal it too. And I was like, so Garrett, hang on. I was like, we're recording this. Are you really going to lie to me? And he goes, and he finally broke down. and was like, no, no, that is what happened. In other words, he, what happened was that you had, um, you went to this party down in Miami. You said, oh, you, I, I'm going to, I'm going to cast you in this show. I didn't tell him that. Ah, but you, I told him, I told GFY that. Got it. Okay. And once he got cast, I told him, you're going to be on my show. You're going to be on my show. And then I said, and then what I did was I pulled out um, the videos of um, the production meetings that I had already had. I made sure to get stuff that wasn't relevant to the show. 
and I played back three seconds of each voice of, of, of the three members at GFY. And when I hit the woman, Natalie, who worked at the company, he was like, play that back again, play that back again, play that back again, play that back again. He goes, that's who, that was it. That was who it was. He goes, I, he goes, you know, I, I can't, you know, you don't know because you don't see the face, but like that was the voice. Right. So now as we're sitting on this video recording, he goes, I don't know who any of those people were, which was a lot of the same uh, verbiage I was getting from GFY and from Grand Street. And, you know, now he had become Warnerified or, or, or HBOified, you know, where he was, he knew the context and how to answer the questions. Um, I don't know any of them. We don't know each other. Right. There's a lot of responses. And um, he closes and, and I, and I, and I really pushed them on it. And I said, so you're going to tell, you're going to, you're going to sit here on camera and tell me that you didn't say that. And that's when he kind of like broke out of his window. He goes, no, yeah, I said it. So now do you, at this point, do you have pretty much everything that you need in order to file the suit? So at this point, yeah, but it was, it was, um, I just kept, I just kept building the evidence because it was, and I was calling attorney after attorney, but it was a, a lot of what I ran into too, was a lot of these attorneys represented HBO. <laughs> They've got or they right, yeah. So it took me, it took me, you know, it took me a long time just to find an attorney. Um, I spent the better half of a year. And meanwhile, I mean, and now this is, you know, being publicized. Are you hearing from other producers like yourself saying same thing happened to me same thing happened to me this was the show this was the adaptation i've heard i've heard countless stories i was on another podcast um and he had a story about how it happened to him too so i mean the, like the story of getting robbed in hollywood is, is probably is like you said earlier has been going on since inception and i fully believe that i've figured i've cracked the system cracked the code so Stupid question, maybe, but why doesn't a GFY or whatever just deal with you? I mean, it's your vision. Why do they feel the need to take your concept, adapt it, send it to somebody else? Why not just go with the, the person who, you know, is the, it's his brain, it's your brainchild. Why not trust you and go with you? I, you know, if I had that answer, I wouldn't be, I guess I wouldn't be having this conversation. Unfortunately, I wish, I wish I, um, I wish I did know because, but the thing is, is that I wasn't up to play the same games they were. So I think that, you know, from a moral and, you know, when it comes down to my faith as well, I wasn't willing to stoop to their level. Um, so all these production companies, these little production companies that feed stuff ultimately up to HBO, they're just like minnow traps. They're just out there. Looking for yeah, ideas. that's what I that's what I think I uncovered through having had the attorney portion of this mixed with working with their, their, their uh, production companies. And what it made me, what it, what it synthesized was that there's a, there's a 1099 independent contractor status that exists. And through having that 1099 independent contractor status, it allows them to take the concept or pass it off to another production company. And now you're only at, the only risk outlay is GFY and Grand Street in my in my equation. So from a legal perspective, I can only go after those two companies unless I can prove the connections. Ah, which right. I'm, it's which almost, like, it's almost like money laundering. Exactly, it's exactly like money laundering. That was and and maybe I watched too much of that show on Netflix. But <laughs> uh, well, speaking uh, of Netflix, I mean this formula, it's as we said, pretty tried and true, probably been going on forever. So does that mean, I don't, I'm not going to name any other companies, but that that most of the big networks and the big cable companies and the and the streaming companies, they're all playing by these rules? And unfortunately, we don't know, right? And like that's, and that's the frightening part of it too, is because if these guys not only have the ability to crank out a documentary in a month and, and manipulate the camera and the scenarios to have appeared to take place over a year, which is a lot of like, you know, these are post, everybody in entertainment knows that you can edit something. A movie's two hours. So you can, you can take all those shots in 12 hours, 
do outfit changes, costume, costume changes, makeup, hair, uh, move the lighting. And all of a sudden it looks like you're in a different season in the same location. I mean, I have them explaining all of this to me on the audio as well. So if you're able to do that and flip these things in three days, you can film enough, more than enough to, to create the whole documentary in, in a fully edited scenario. Ah, so that way um, they're able to steal the idea, produce the idea, and then they exactly. can claim, and then can claim. Well, wait a minute. No, we've been shooting this thing for a year. And then, and then on, and then the hook, line, and sinker is I have them, you know, admitting that they're willing to backdate legal documents as well. Wow. Uh, so, <laughs> so when 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 is this going to court? Um, um, it's it was filed last a week ago a week ago today actually, and. Um, Everybody's in the process of being served right now. Um, I don't know if you can divulge. Uh, you can tell me to mind my own business, but what are you going after? What, what kind of damage is uh, a, re a award? Seeking injunctive relief. What does that mean? That means that I want what's mine. And nothing more, nothing less. So, I, you know, there's, I guess there's, you know, when it comes down to legally, it's, you know, everything's all about making a deal. Right. I mean, is there a dollar figure attached to that? Um, I, you know, I want, I want my rightful percentage of the ownerships. What was filed in court was that it's at least a minimum of 15 million in damages. Um, I believe it could be way more. I'm, I'm owed, I'm owed not only my owed credits, which, you know, allow me to proliferate and move forward and have a career, um, because that's how the business works is dealing in credits, but also, when it comes down to these own, the ownership of these things, I get paid. You get paid royalties. You get paid when the things go to syndication, which was the same reason that in the in the get-go, from the beginning, I said to them, I want to produce this whole thing and own the whole thing myself. And I'm willing to pay everybody handsomely. So if you win, what does this mean for the way that Hollywood operates? Are they going to have to change their whole business? I guess <laughs> I guess it means I'll be the first kid to have been big fat liared in real life and proved it. <laughs> right. Exactly. You'll be like Kurt Flood, uh, who was like, I don't know if you're from, if you're a baseball fan, but he was the one, I mean, before Kurt Flood, there was no thing as free agency. Uh, not that, you know, there's no big analogy there, except that you're, you're the first, right? You're the right first to, to break the system. And he broke that system in baseball. Um, and that's really what it comes down to for me too, is like, I just think, there's so many people with such similar stories to me. I'm not fighting for myself. I'm fighting on behalf of like an injustice that's constantly going on. And, 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 you know, more trying to be like the more trying to be like, and it's really not about myself. It's about, but it's about, but you know, I may end up having to be like the poster child for this in the way that it's starting to formulate, but it's about figuring out a way to change the system. And I don't necessarily have the answers but there's got to be a there's got to be a better solution. Well, I mean, for every time we every every movie that's up there, every Academy Award winning movie, every B movie, every I mean, there there may be someone who actually created that that we don't know about who got basically ripped off. Um, I mean, maybe Everybody, if you win this, maybe you, maybe you go back and you there's a massive class action suit against. That would be a wonderful thing against against the against the oligopoly of all the of all the of all the because uh, you know that it's those three big publishers are all working together in unison to you know the the three largest publishers are are Sony, Warner Brothers, and Universal, and everything kind of feeds down. Um, but you know they don't you don't think they work together like it's like it's at that at that level. Well, that's then we get into the antitrust uh, legislation and so forth. And then, and then, and that's what I really, that was what, what I was chasing here was like, do you remember in the fifties, there was the Hollywood trials? Uh, you mean during the red scare and, and Joe McCarthy and all of that? Yeah. Yeah. That was one of those things that, that clicked for me that I was, I was thinking about throughout this whole process is like, is there a way that they're skating the system to infiltrate it? And I don't know, I just felt like I was like stumbling across these stumbling blocks that like it was all adding up.
you know, and, and who knows if like, that's because look, if you look at, if you go all the way to the right or all the way to the left, and I don't want to get like too political, but either end of the political spectrum, you do meet that same communist agenda. Mm-hmm. Um, cause it, cause the line that we call politics ends up really being a circle. Right. And, um, I mean, it, you just don't know. And it's frightening because ideologies can then funnel in and you know granted having freedom of speech and being able to come out and tell my story to the world is i think like the way the way that you combat these sorts of things that's like that's our freedoms in this country um but yeah it's a, no it's a it's a it's a great story david versus goliath for sure and uh here's rooting for david um, it's an amazing story, Jack, and uh, Godspeed, good luck, and uh, I hope you bring the house down. <laughs> Thank you so much. I do have a concept for creating sort of like a sustainable production model um, that I'm gonna that we're gonna try and roll out as well, and I think that that's like possibly the next step of taking a healthier approach to creating because I think that at the end of the day, the, the real issue in all of this comes down to the consumer. The consumer, there was a, there was a, when I was a kid, there was a, this online, it was called LimeWire. Oh yes. Go on and you could download and you could have whatever you wanted for free. And people always are, people are always going to want to be entertained. They're always going to need trash bags. There's a few things you're always going to need in life, underwear and, um, and socks, but of all those different sorts of things, um entertainment's one of them whether and it's something that's not really tangible you can't put your hands on so so people don't think that they're doing anything wrong when they go on a platform like that and they take it but you're taking from the guy like me who gets who there's this whole intricate system developed around the fact that the consumers end up taking from the artist in the end and i'm just sitting here with a with a cup on the corner and my cardboard sign as a beggar now uh, I can tell you, uh, yeah, uh, being a, a creature of radio, nobody wants to pay for content anymore. Nope. And, and that's, unfortunately, that's the real, that that's the issue that all of us as creators are fighting, should are fighting against, but we have to give it to them. Otherwise we don't get the audience. So it's, it's, it's all tit for tat, give and take. And, and uh, I, I, I do, I have a concept for how I would like to do it. We just haven't really begun deploying it yet. Um, so just got a minute here, but, uh, tell me, uh, my audience a little bit about, um, I mean, if what you're working on aside from this huge case, maybe that takes up all your time, but, uh, you know, uh, at flip, uh, at flip productions, what, 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 I'm afraid to disclose any of my concepts <laughs> anymore without listening, but I do have, but I do have, um, I do have a bunch that are ready to go and I am a free agent now. So, you know, whatever big networks are listening, how do they get a hold of you? Um, they can reach me through my website at jackuju.com on any of my social media platforms or, um, through my production company on their website, Flip Productions. All right. And those links are in the episode notes here. Jack, great story. Good luck. Thank you so much. Such a pleasure. A new Richard Serrett's Strange Planet drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. 